the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. It's time for another episode of The Boys of Tech. Thank you for joining us. My name is Edwin Herman, hosting episode 286 for Monday, the 14th of July, 2014. Bastille Day, in fact. Uh, I'm also joined over a Skype connection by my co-host and friend, Ben Sunko. How are you, Ben? I'm good, thanks, Ed. Well, it is Bastille Day, and also this morning I got up extra early to watch the, the football final. Uh, Germany beat Argentina, so it was an interesting, an interesting game. Um, it's it's a, I think it's a fantastic sport to watch. You don't even have to really either understand a lot of the game or even be into it yourself to enjoy watching it. It's a beautiful game. It's a game that you appreciate the skill level. Of. Yeah, like it's just when it's played well, it's 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 called the beautiful game for a reason. Oh, it, it really it, can be exactly, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Ben, what have you been up to on this weekend? Anything interesting? Um, nothing tech related. I was building a pergola, so. Oh well, we can. That's interesting, <laughs> though. I, okay, it's not tech, but that's still interesting. Yeah, yeah. So just making the frame and then um, framing the trellis on the inside and just getting it all ready. And uh, sometime next week, I think I'll probably put it up. Oh, cool. That's quite quite an effort, hmm. though, isn't it? Uh oh yeah yeah I quite like working with wood, so um, yeah it's enjoyable. Have you uh, built anything like this before? Or uh, this size? Probably not this size. I mean, I've made I've made shelves and I've made various backgammon boards, like little boxes and boards, and um, I've made bowls and um, various other things, uh, and I've built built things like you know we built a pizza oven in our backyard that kind of thing oh really um, you built a pizza yeah. oven how did, how did you yeah. what did you use did, uh, bricks was it uh well we we built the um like the stand that it sits on which is just a block wall um and then we bought a tray that we filled with concrete and then you've got tiles slate tiles that you put down and then there was a precast dome that was put on top oh okay yep yeah, that's just the one. That's how we, we did ours. Otherwise, you use fire bricks and build this massive big behemoth. Right. Ours is just little. And, and the pizzas? What, what's the verdict? Oh, they're amazing. Like, yeah. You can taste the amazing. difference, right? What sort of wood? Oh, it's straight out of the oven. It's just incredible. So um, what sort of wood are you? So you use pine to get it started because it's a soft wood. It burns really quickly. Um, and then you switch to a harder wood. So uh, the best that I find is manuka, um, like three-year down manuka. So it's really dry. Um, it just gives beautiful, beautiful flavor, lots of heat. Yeah. Where, where do you buy that that sort of wood? Is it, exp- is it, and it is expensive? Uh, to buy manuka is expensive if you're buying it. Um, but I've got a cousin who's got a farm and they've got lots of old manuka trees. So oh, we just fantastic. go up and chop down. Yeah. yeah, what a score. Yeah, and it lasts for quite a long time. So, hmm. Well, I think we're going to have to do a uh, a podcast from, from your place and have, you know, over a pizza and, and some, some drinks or something. Well, I've offered it in the past, so yeah. 
I think we should do that. We'll, we'll take you up on the offer. Oh, that, that sounds, yeah, sounds like a plan. We'll just, we'll wait till summer when it's a bit nicer. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in total agreement on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just looking back at uh, the week just gone, or at least since our last episode on Thursday, Alcatel Lucent has been doing some trials for fast uh, data transfers over copper. Now, copper, you might think, well, you know, isn't sort of copper finished? And yeah, look, in terms of future and new installations, yes, I guess it is, but there is still an existing copper network out there, and it's still used, of course. And so they've managed to hit uh, in the lab over a 30-metre distance 10 gigabits per second. Hmm. Now, Ben, I seem to remember back in the old days of dial-up, uh, when we went, you know, the, the uh, speed slowly increased, eventually camped at around 56k. And and then, of course, when broadband came in, uh, but we were told, I think the limit back then was, wasn't it one or two megabits a second? And then we've surpassed that already. Remember the theoretical maximum they were telling us? Yeah, but this is really this really is pushing it. Like I think to achieve this, you're you're using quite high voltage, which has to travel over the copper, and I think you also generate quite a lot of heat. So you have to like you have to um, insulate it quite well. And this is really my understanding is this is really pushing it. This is like you probably wouldn't be seeing these sorts of speeds out in the wild, but it's impressive that they can do them anywhere. Mm. There is um, a huge. Um, Drop off over distance. I mean, if you look at they've they've also did some tests over seventy meters, so just over twice as as long, and uh, the the uh, the speeds there dropped down to one gigabit per second. And in fact, what I haven't told you though is on the ten gigabit per second over thirty meters, they've used four copper lines, and so the actual speed, if you like, per line is two point five gigabits per second. Now over seventy meters, that's down to 0.5. So you know you're down to a fifth of the speed. By going Although from 30 if, to 70 metres. If you're talking about a traditional, um, you know, a twisted pair, that's eight copper wires though, isn't it? Is it eight or ten? Um, I think there are, oh, no. Because I, I only on the, two on the, are used for phone, I think. Yeah, two are, yeah, exactly. But I actually thought, at least here in New Zealand, that they only have two anyway. Or four. Uh, two or four in the actual phone line. In fact, I'm, I'm sure, sure they do because I was under my house the other day and at least the wiring there only carries, it's either two or four. But I thought the whole splitting of the broadband was that it went onto the other wires. No, um, no my understanding is that they're using a higher frequencies and using a filter to uh, so that the, it doesn't interfere with the phone. Oh, so okay. using, instead of, so I think phone is, what was it, three, oh, don't quote me on this, but isn't it 300 hertz to one point? or something like that and then above that is where broadband sits and, okay. and it doesn't interfere and you just use a uh, high pass or a low pass depending on what, what, which, which one you're trying to filter out That's that was my understanding but oh, it makes sense I mean that's that's how the deep sea cables work you just you know you have maybe 10 different frequencies running and each one has a, a you know a 10 gigabits per second transfer speed so you get your your 100 gigabits and it's amazing what they can get out of copper, though, still. And so what this actually means, you might be thinking, well, what does this mean in the, in the real world? Because copper's gone, well, it's going. Well, what it does mean, though, is because you've got to remember that fibre to the home is expensive. I mean, all, most countries, well, most developed countries are doing that. France, we're very early adopters in that. And uh, I know that here in New Zealand, of course, we, we, we've got a fibre to the home uh, project um, that's been going but uh, it is very expensive and so what it means is that it, it will allow service providers to offer 
faster speeds without having to, you know, lay the fibre yet to homes. And that's not to say, oh, you know, copper's going to, you know, copper's back in again. It's not. It just means that we can get these speeds delivered to the houses right now without having to dig up trenches and, you know, wait for the funding uh, to be able to uh, lay the fibre. It's the delivering the last mile, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And... uh, what it, what and that is the most expensive part of the installation as yeah, well. well that, that's that, the, exactly. It that's is, what it? everyone's struggling with, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as well as that, on top of that, the more rural you go, the uh, the more expensive it, it, it sort of costs for that last mile. Mm, although with these, well, like what we're looking at here, it doesn't feel like it would be a particularly long run that you'd want to be doing over this. No. You probably wouldn't. You'd, like, you know, if you're rural people, you'd probably still need to be running quite, you know, quite reasonably close to them. Yeah, I think um, I think I think so. Um, as you saw, that the the speed drop off is just phenomenal um, over mm, distance. So well, this would be ideal for towns and oh, yeah, central yeah. cities and things like that. Yeah. Yep, town cities, uh, you know, out in suburbia, it should be fine as well because they've got exchange boxes every, you know, mm. every so often. But uh, yeah, you're right. As soon as you go rural, that's uh, it's really not going to have any advantage over the current technologies. But there we yeah. go. We were told. Years ago, that whatever it was, one megabit, or I can't remember what it was, but something quite low was the theoretical maximum you can ever get out of copper. Um, but I also remember a, a lecture at university where they held up a platter and they said, these platters for hard disks can never hold more than 100 megabytes of data. Like, it just can't happen. <laughs> Is um, that right? And they're like going, and we get these big stacks by by um, you know by using lots of platters. And they just, you know... Technologies improves a lot. Everything, everything moves so much further ahead than you'd even think. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the whole twice as fast, half the cost. It's you know, it really does apply. Mm. And of course, uh, just you know, what you were saying kind of reminds me of the famous, famous, famous Bill Gates quote about six forty k is all you'll ever need. You know, it's it's just really hard sometimes to look memory. We're talking about. Um, you know, it's hard to look into the future at, at how fast things grow. You know, Moore's law has been has held true for a while. Mm. What else is there? The the Y two K Y two K glitch, which which surfaced just recently. Now you might have thought, uh, you know, well Y two K's been and gone. I mean, you know, that was fourteen years ago. Well, a Y two K bug has just surfaced because, uh, well, let me, first let me tell you what happened. A whole bunch of Families were sent letters requesting the men to join the U.S. military, and in fact, they had to do that or face a, f- a fine and imprisonment. The problem is, the men that these letters were sent to were no longer alive. These are people, I think, born in the late 1800s. They were well addressed to these people who are no longer with us. So, what went on here? Well, the <laughs> problem was, was when they did, it was basically, it all comes down to a data transfer that they did, you know, from the database of people. Uh, they did in Pennsylvania, I think they were working on two digit years and they were trying to send it out to people born in the late 1900s, you know, 1995 and so on. And unfortunately, they caught people whose date of birth were both 1890 something and 1990 something. A Y2K bug. Who would have thought? Mm. Yeah, it's amazing that anyone's still running systems like that. But, oh, yeah. yeah, with two-digit years. The thing that blew me away is that they've got um, compulsory military service in the US. It's funny you say that because that is exactly what I was going to say as well as a side thing. I was thinking, hang on a sec, 
I really did not realize that. And I sort of had a quick look into it. And it's like, it's actually been around for a long time. It's compulsory to register. And then it looks like they have some kind of, like, you can get drawn out, but you only have to do one year or three years of, uh, what's it called, National Guard. Oh, but, yeah, all, all of that was a surprise. I mean, I knew you could volunteer, and if you volunteered, you could then be conscripted. But I had I, I had no idea this was still running. No, uh, no, I, I had no idea either. Did, so did you, have a, did you research this? I've just had a quick look into it before, yeah. Just that it's it was basically sort of re like it really sort of got put back in in the eighties by Carter after the Vietnam War, and it's always just kind of sat there in the background. Um, but it's always been compulsory to register. But I don't know any details about like you know how often people actually get caught up and and what sort of goes from there. But yeah, and, or what or how you can get out. I assume you can get out of it, but I don't know what the rules would be. Well, that's really interesting because I, I had no idea. I know that in Switzerland, uh, where I was born, they still have compulsory military training as well. And I think the only way to get out of that is if you can get a medical certificate to say you're uh, unfit. And, uh, you know, a lot of people try and seek those to get out of it. Yeah, I think some countries will allow you to defer if you're studying, or they can you can count like a, a degree against it. I think there's there's various rules in various places, and then others that you know you have to do it regardless. Like I think Israel is very strict that you have to do it. Yeah, and um, in, in fact, when I went to see Fiddler on the Roof, the musical, the uh, the lead character there, Topol, who's been doing that for what twenty, thirty something years, like I can't remember. He's managed to word. He's Israeli, and of course, he managed to word or sorry, include in his contract a get out clause that if Israel requests, you know, his uh, you know needs him in the military, if he's called up, if you like, that he can uh, opt, that you know that he can get out of uh, doing the musical without you know facing any consequences. That's part of his contract that he's negotiated. Mm, I wonder if he's actually holds a reasonably high position. Maybe it's in Mossad. Which is their secret service. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe yeah. that's why. And you didn't tell us. What else have we got this week? We've got, oh, a farmer, uh, still in the US, a, a farmer by the name of Kevin Whitney in Oklahoma lost his iPhone. Now, that in itself isn't an amazing feat. I mean, a lot of people have managed to lose the iPhone. But the way he did it, and in fact, he got it back, is, it's quite an interesting story. It fell, he, he's a farmer, and so it fell into a grain elevator last year. Uh, and in fact, I see something that fell into uh, a silo holding roughly 290 bushels of grain. What's a bushel? I mean, this is kind of like it's been written in the 18th century. What's a bushel? I think it is still a standard measure. In fact, they yeah. don't even have it here on, I have to go to Google. They don't have it on uh, uh, one bushel in cubic. 35 litres. Oh, have you got that? you got the answer, have you? Yeah, 35 litres. Eight oh, gallons. Oh, yeah, 30, 35. Or four, four, four picks. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, interesting. So, uh, yeah, so uh, 290,000 bushels is uh, quite a few thousand cubic metres. Anyway, regardless of how big this thing was, it um, it kind of made its way there and eventually made its way to Japan. And uh, obviously exporting the grain to, to Japan. And eventually, just cut a long story short, he, he gets a phone call because someone who uh, in Japan had located the phone and had charged it, turned it on, and 
figured out whose it was by calling some of the numbers on the contact list and eventually managed to return the phone. So eight months later, Oklahoma farmer Kevin Whitney is reunited with his iPhone. It's not very hygienic, is it? <laughs> what, the grain? <laughs> yeah, dropping your phone in the grain. What else gets dropped in the grain? Well, that's a very good Dirty question. Dirty hankies and... Oh, yeah. And, yeah, like... Do they do anything I, with the grain? Do they, they must irradiate it, surely. I mean, at what point would it get washed? You would have assumed it got washed before it went to Does grain, well, does grain even get washed? Because you, you don't want to wear it. I or, don't know. Or maybe does it get washed and dried? I thought it might just get irradiated. I don't know. You know, to kill any, you know, gamma rays or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm making all this up, but... I, Apparently it doesn't get the iPhone. It doesn't um, get the iPhone. No, you're right. It doesn't have, <laughs> it doesn't have an iPhone uh, sieve. But no. isn't that kind of cool? His phone made it all the way around that the is, world to Japan cool. and back. Yeah. I think that's a nice and, story. And the fact that somebody returned it. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like these kind of stories. It's not really a tech story, but it involves an iPhone, so I thought I'd throw it in there. And in fact, the the uh, interestingly enough, the uh, the tech sites were carrying the story because, as I say, same same reason. It has an iPhone involved, therefore it's a tech story. Yeah. I guess it's a, um, a return of property thing as well. Not, not many pieces of property could be identified and returned like that. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if it was, I don't know, a, a stapler. I'm just looking at what's on, on my desk here. <laughs> if it was a I, guess they, I guess they did say that a camera was also returned in a similar similar kind of manner. Someone someone dropped a camera from a skydiving helmet and it landed on a pigeon. <laughs> on a pigeon? <laughs> Apparently, yeah, where it was found later. Oh, what? sorry, pig pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw, no, I heard about that one, yes, a pig, yeah. Yeah, um, not a pigeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think, in fact, I think that one was just a, it was, well, it's obviously just a local thing. I There's a video of that one on the internet somewhere. You can oh, see it. There's a video because he's he's using it. He's using it and he drops it. And uh, you just see this, um, everything going sort of round and round and round and round. Suddenly you catch a glimpse of, you know, a, a sort of a a pig pen and poof, it's in, in, and then the pigs come up to it. Oh really? And you mm. can see the pigs coming out. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Right? it's on the it's on the internet. Yeah, it's yeah. Oh, okay. it's, that one that one's been online. And in fact, just going back to, uh, I thought you meant a still camera initially when you talked about cameras, because the other thing you just reminded me of is occasionally you'll see stories where someone's found a digital camera and they'll post photos online and saying, "Look, I found your camera. If this is you, or you know, if you took pictures of this or of these people, get in contact and I'll get your your camera back to you." So there are good things about the internet too. There are. There are good people out there still. And it pays to keep that in mind. So Ben, uh, a Nielsen study just recently found that a lot of consumers still like scanning barcodes, including QR codes. I am surprised because the QR code was very popular about two or three years ago. And since then, of course, it's been declining in popularity. You don't see it so much anymore. And, you know, the the, the term QR codes are dead was a common term in the last couple of years. Well, it seems that it's not entirely the case, though, because a lot of people still like using QR codes. So the Nielsen report says... Well, what's your take on QR codes? Are they useful or are they just gimmicky? Yeah, they're useful. I mean, at the at the bottom line, it's a font. It's a way of printing information. Um, and it just happens that the information is easily accessible from a phone. So for things that you're, for, for website addresses, it, it's perfect. 
absolutely perfect like um i've heard if you're if you're reading a review in a magazine of like a cd or a movie or something they often put a qr code of a link to amazon so you just boom and you can go off and grab it if you want i don't know i think i know it sounds awfully lazy but if it were me if i was reading a magazine or i was walking past a bus stop and there was a poster there with a qr code I don't think I could actually be bothered taking out my phone and scanning it. I'd rather just see a URL that I... And if the URL's easy enough to remember... But you are a terrible example for that. <laughs> does your phone Does your phone have a camera? Well, I've just bought a new one, and no, it doesn't have a camera. Does it have a screen bigger than about a, a 50-cent piece? No. Uh, <laughs> can you do anything on it other than ring people and text people? Oh, I can listen to the FM radio. Okay, so you're not really in the target audience for QR codes. <laughs> no, but Ben, even when I had the iPad, I, I don't know. It's just... Again, that's different. You're not walking around. But I don't think I would. I, I, I hope think, you weren't what, walking around with the iPad. Why can't, yeah, why can't they just put the URL in plain English so a human can read it? I think, you know, i tell you what, what would be better. Look, page? Ben, you a know A link what? to an individual page. Yeah. You, you're not. So, you, I mean, one example that they had was a, um, a Woolworths, I think it was Woolworths, had a massive display on the back of a, um, of a bus stop. And that display was all these different items, and each one had a QR code that was a link to the shopping cart on the Woolworths system for you to order that uh, item. Ah, yes, So yes, if you're yes. sitting at a bus stop, you're like, oh, actually, maybe I do want some stuff. You can scan all these things, add them all to your cart, and then order it. I mean, that's the perfect use of it. In my uh, look, I don't disagree, Ben. That, I think, works. But I think that is, in my opinion anyway, one of the very, very few situations where it works. I mean, how many times have you seen billboards and posters with QR codes? Does anyone bother scanning them? Look, the, the fact is that these things are going out of popularity suggests that I, I think there is a, 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 a lack of uptake in them. And, you know, there's, in fact, there's, I think, I think someone published a paper, Why QR Codes Failed in New Zealand, I think was published a while ago. I can't remember who did that. I, I don't think they're a complete failure, and certainly this report from Nielsen suggests that consumers still like to scan things themselves, especially when purchasing. But I, don't I, know. I, I, I think it's just like any other tool. It's how you use it. It hasn't been used well, so you know people have the opinion that it's no good. But if it gets used properly and used well, then people will, will like it. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. Um, no, except, I mean, it does take up room. I mean, if it's a big poster, that doesn't really matter. But in a magazine, uh, even on products, it, it takes up real estate. It's... Mm, don't know. Uh, yeah. I see them around and I think, you know, yeah, okay. What a waste. I've, I've never been bothered by one. I've, I've, never, <laughs> I've, been bothered I've by- never looked at something and gone, oh, man, they put a QR code on. No, I'm not buying that product. <laughs> Actually, that's a thought. I hadn't t- thought of taking it that far. I'm gonna. I'm now going to not buy products with QR codes. Vote with your wallet. Vote with my wallet, that's it. Yeah, Not yeah. your digital wallet, because you don't like that, but with your actual <laughs> Oh, Ben, so sharp this morning, so sharp. Uh, yeah, look, I, look, don't get me wrong, though. I don't, I don't dislike them. I just, I guess I'm just, I don't see the point in most situations, that's all. But maybe I'm just, I don't know, too pessimistic about the whole thing. I think so. You know what I I guess Ben, what I what I would rather is I, I to me it's a backward step. You know, what we're trying to get devices to read a visual 
some visual content. I would rather see it go the other way. And so instead of changing your visual content to something that a computer can read easily but a human can't read, it should go the other way. We should be developing or further developing technology to read characters, existing characters, i.e. OCR. You know, so have dub 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 dot whatever. Take a, a snap of that and have it automatically OCR it and there's your link. So wouldn't something like this be the logical step to get to that point? Having a font that the computer can yeah, read but, is but I think just one step towards having a, a, a human readable font that it can read. But I think it's a step backwards because the, a human can no longer uh, read it at all. But step backwards from nothing. Like, so we have human no, no, language. But bef- no, before that, we had URLs printed, like, you know, visit us at www.ebay.com or something. We could see these, you know, you'd have posters and ads and stuff. But I just mean as far as, so we're talking about um, a camera taking a picture of something and reading what is there. So before we had nothing that could do that. And then now we have cameras that can take a picture of a small font and turn that into something you can read. So the next step from nothing to that would be taking a picture of actual readable text and figuring out what it wants. All I'm saying is that what we have now is a step towards getting to that. We're not going to go from, you know, A to Z. You're going to go to B and C first. Okay, I can see, yeah, I can see the angle you're looking at it. And yeah, in that respect, then yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I hope so anyway. <laughs> and we should we should just start using the QR font more often. Like just, you know, put it in documents. Oh, and no. just start learning how to read it. Oh, yeah, right. It just like we can spin, we should start learning to spin CDs in front of our eyes and learn to read the data. Oh, that would be cool. It would be kind of cool That'd to be- You know, you know what? It'd be kind of cool if you could look at a even a vinyl and go, "Oh, that looks like an interesting track. It's got a good good beat." Um yeah. Bit of bass down, you know. <laughs> or if you had sensitive enough fingers that you could actually run it over and oh, feel yeah. the, yeah. feel the hey, sound. Yeah, a couple of podcasts ago, you talked about a bus, a little V dub bus that goes yes. around the record. I Google that. There's videos of that on YouTube. I'm, I oh, loved it. That's cool. That is it? awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I really, really cool. like I had never heard of those. And I think there's quite a range of them. Like that's just the one that I I know about. I think there's quite a few. I think there might be little frogs or little animals. And I that think is, also- it's really cool. And yeah. I, what I like about it is, I, I think one of the practical uses for that is in music stores. Remember back in the days when you were buying CDs, you used to be able to take a CD up and they put it into the music station for you, and you can listen to it. Well, how do you do that with a with a with vinyl now, you, I mean, obviously you can get lots of record players, but it, that's just big and bulky. So if you just run this little device over it, uh, you can sample it that way. I think it's great, mm. and it's gimmicky if you just want one for home, just because you can. I think you can probably get reasonable sound out of it, and I mean, say you're somewhere that you don't have power, you have this little wind up, wind up um, bus. You wind it up, you put it down, <laughs> then you got music from. It's not you know, it's no power involved. There's no. Yeah, well, you could just get one of those wind-up ones that you crank the handle. What a radio! No, no, sorry, a uh, no, no, a record player, a gramophone. Oh, oh okay. The original. But gramophone. that's quite big and bulky, though, isn't it? It's very, very big and bulky. Yeah, that's true. But Although also, if you're taking does... your record collection, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> that's also big and bulky, isn't it? Yeah, the record collection itself. Anyway, Ben, I think we've done our dash. I think we've done episode 286. What do you reckon? I think so, yeah. Cool. 
I guess we'll leave it there. Brett is still unwell, but hopefully he'll be joining us in a week or two for one of the uh, next, you know, one of the upcoming episodes. Hopefully he'll be better by then. In the meantime, anyway, take care, Ben. Thank you very much for co-hosting. Oh, you're welcome, Ed. It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. And uh, we'll see you all again next week. Until then, have yourselves a great one. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>